When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hola. Bonjour. Ni hao. Privet. Moi. Hey, I say that. Uh, ciao. Konnichiwa. That's not one. Everybody, welcome to the Normal Not Normal podcast with myself, Oliver Phelps. <laughs> Do you like what I did there? No. With him, James Phelps, and me, Oliver Phelps. Thank you so much for joining us this week. As you say, James has just been trying to confuse everybody. He seems to be in one of those moods today. I am. I'm feeling a bit cheeky. But that's because we've been speaking to a very dear and old friend of ours. So in this series, we explore what normal is and if normal even exists. And so this week, we are speaking to a very good friend of ours. We are joined by... Alfie Enoch, who played Dean Thomas in the Harry Potter films. Now, obviously, Alfie became a very good friend to both of us over the years, and we've had a lot, a lot of fun memories working with him. But since Harry Potter, he's been a very, very successful actor. Uh, you might have seen him work as Wes Gibbons in the long-running hit series How to Get Away with Murder, and I can't wait to ask him about working on that, also staying in an American accent when he was filming. But his dad is also an actor, William Russell, who was actually in so many big productions during the 50s, 60s and 70s. Notably, The Great Escape, an amazing movie. Superman, an amazing movie. But he was also the first assistant in Doctor Who. There's a did you know. Uh, but before we join in with Alfie, Oliver, what have you been up to this week? Well, this week has been very interesting because the weather's been actually getting quite nice. I've been out and about, going for walks and everything like that. And I was very, very surprised to see the amount of people who find it very awkward, if you ever see couples going for a walk, how awkward people can be holding hands. I don't know if you ever noticed that before, but there's like a weird way that people seem to hold hands or some people don't. I actually saw a couple, fairly elderly couple, who you would have thought all their years together, they would have worked this out by now. But this man was literally walking along and he literally went, oh, you're, you're doing it wrong again, you're doing it wrong again, and, and walked off. Kind of a highlight of the day, really, seeing that. Well, you really do live life in the fast lane, don't you? Oh, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's just all, it's nothing but go here, nothing but go. But no, apart from that, it's been really, really enjoyable. Uh, what else have we been getting up to? The one thing I would say, guys, is that I really, really appreciate, and I think I'm speaking on behalf of James as well, all the lovely kind words that have been sent to not just us, but the whole team um, behind the Normal Not Normal podcast from everybody, from saying how much it helps you going through you know, a, a bad time if you're going through it or anything like that, or if it's just the cherry on top of a brilliant week um, and everything in between. We just want to say thank you so much for all the love, so much for all the support, because without you guys, we wouldn't bother doing this, really, would we? No, we've had a real great time doing it, especially, like Oliver says, getting messages from everybody saying about how much they enjoy listening to it, how it's an escapism, how just how it's great to be part of a community because I know that you guys have started speaking to each other as well which is really nice to see and hear about so thank you so much for all the support and we really hope that you're enjoying it as much as we are making them guys we hope you enjoyed this episode with Alfie take it away so Alfie thank you so much mate for joining us today just thought I'd give you a little heads up right as to what we're talking about so basically in this whole series we're basically exploring what the word normal means we're kind of coming to the conclusion that normal is just what's relative to you. Maybe, maybe let's start right at the beginning, say pre-Potter. Like what would be, say, like a normal Sunday before we met? Before Potter, what was normal? How old was I, like 11 when we started doing Potter? So it's, I wasn't up to anything very interesting. Probably like a normal Sunday was just like sitting at home. Maybe if my parents managed to convince someone from school to come play with me. I'd have some company. Otherwise, I'd just be sitting on my own, twiddling my thumbs. I don't know. <laughs> Pretty much that, or just like reading or something. Actually, one thing that kind of jumps out from being from when I was really young, and this kind of went through all of my childhood, was like during during like school holidays, like Easter or Christmas, I would sit at home 
and uh, watch like old movies with my dad. My dad uh, was an actor and he uh, was in like The Great Escape and like movies from way back when. So I'd always kind of sit down at the foot of my dad's armchair and he'd be like, oh, that's blah, 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 blah. And I'd be like, oh, cool. Yeah, oh, that's good. It was just basically just a captive audience for him to talk about when he was working. Did he tell, if you're watching films that he was in, did he tell you that he was in them or was it just you'd see him pop up on screen? Oh, that's actually quite a good question. I never really, I, I don't remember him ever telling me, but then it's quite an amusing thought to be like, so just so you know, we're going to watch this film and I'm in it. <laughs> that's a weird conversation to have isn't it i mean like how do you cross that bridge i always think if i have a, a kid one day i'd be like i wouldn't if potter came on i wouldn't tell them that i'm in it I'd just, like, <laughs> just watch them sit there again just yeah but then you run a risk right i mean what happens if uh they don't recognize you and you think oh boy <laughs> time's been cruel time's been cruel to me sitting there haggard in the corner i can remember a couple of years ago maybe about two years ago i was around at my uh my friend's house and i'm uh god god godfather to two of his two of his boys and they just started to get into watching the the films so he would been about five at the time and they were they were watching the philosopher's stone and uh i came on i came on it was when we were at king's cross and i said oh that's that's me, mate, there. And he looked and went, you're very old. <laughs> or I was going to pick my heart off the floor and just... <laughs> well, there we go. James, yeah. you've got that to look forward to. I wouldn't... I'd, I'd, give them, I'd give them disclaimer at the beginning, just so you know. Yeah, exactly. It was a long time ago. <laughs> a long time ago, yeah. <laughs> really long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, if my dad... I, I, he must have told me, not to be harsh on him, but like, for example, The Great Escape, that would have been what, like in 1960 or like there or thereabouts. My dad is is old. I mean, he's 96 now. Obviously, when I was a kid, he wasn't that old. But I mean, he was like white-haired and old. And he's like a young, fit Air Force navigator or something in the in the movie. So like, I might not have recognized it. So did you have much sense of the entertainment world before then because of your dad? And if so, was that the reason why you wanted to go into acting or were you like a few of us where we saw the Potters coming up and we thought, let's give it a go. That could be fun. Mm, yeah, it was, <laughs> let's give it a go. Like the best punt <laughs> in history. Oh, I might as well. I'm not doing anything for the next 10 years. Give it a try. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I was, I was definitely more in the camp of that looks like fun. I want to do it for a living. Do you know what I mean? I was like, I knew, because I knew acting was a thing. I guess it sounds like such a like banal way of putting it, but I think that's a real thing. I think a lot of people don't consider it because maybe they don't know people who are actors or that it seems like a really distant, far off dream, something that happens to other people. Whereas I knew that was a viable career and maybe naively because obviously it's not viable for everyone and it's, you know, you're lucky to be working at any given point. But, um, but I already had that desire to do it. That was definitely from from him but still I didn't have much of an idea of the industry you know I didn't know about auditions or agents or anything really I mean before Potter I'd done one thing which was a play which was amazing it was a, it was a play that was at Shakespeare's Globe and then it did a tour and I, like one of the first plays I remember seeing was my dad was at the Globe in the opening season and so that was a really kind of cool thing for me but it wasn't like Dan or Devon who had like worked before and done, you know, like TV and film. And I had no practical kind of sense of what it was. Yeah. In terms of like going obviously for, for the audition and stuff like that, was that an open call or was that a set audition for to play, to play in D Thomas in particular, or was it just any, any role going? They had an open call at my school and they basically auditioned everyone. That was Westminster Under School, so that was like the prep school. Which, which for those of you who are listening, is one of the best schools in the country. <laughs> Alfie's just going to modestly nod that off, but it's <laughs> put me on blast. I was just trying to hope that wouldn't come up. Damn, damn. I've got like massive guilt, big, big privilege guilt. Um, so they came to my school 
to the to the prep school um and basically auditioned everyone and we had all just started reading harry potter basically so it was that was a massive deal like everyone in my year and pretty much the whole school maybe had like read the first book and maybe the second book had like just come out maybe if i'm not getting my chronology wrong i think it was the first the first three and the fourth one was just on its way really was it yeah it was when when we were going for the audition the fourth one was was coming out because I remember we had the first book we listened to on audio, Stephen Fry, when you used to get the, the tapes, the yeah, cassette tapes, yeah. which would come in like six huge, like in like a ring binder pretty much for those. <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah, the, the first three were definitely out when we went for it. Ah, that's interesting. Because my, my memory was, I think maybe I hadn't got the third one yet, but I had read the second one. And the second one was like the first book that I stayed up all night reading. Mm. I was like, just completely gripped. I just remember the bit where they kind of entered the Chamber of Secrets. I was like, this is terrifying and amazing. And it was like blowing my little mind. I was just like having the best time. Um, So when they came with the auditions, you know, that was obviously massive, massive news. But despite the fact that I'd already done this play, I didn't audition because I thought this is never going to happen. Do you know what I mean? I had I had like a couple of thoughts about this. Firstly, I was like, this is going to be a massive, massive film. They're not going to cast any of you idiots. I was thinking about all my friends who were auditioning. <laughs> and I was like, and they're not going to cast me either. <laughs> At least I'm not so idiot that I think they're going to. And so I didn't, I didn't audition. But it just so happened that the play went on tour. And then someone saw me in the play. And so I got asked to audition. So when, when I then got a call like in the summer I was like oh nice to be asked you know I was like okay did you go back in and were you you saying to all the other kids there were you like so you all auditioned didn't you and I didn't (laughs) but I'm in it but you're not it's funny that you oh (laughs) that's just interesting yeah (laughs) but in all all seriousness though were were there any like jealousy or anything from from any of your mates Um, because of that or was it more you jammy sod yeah it was more you jammy sod definitely I don't know I guess in some way, maybe this is me like tooting my own horn a bit, but it, I don't know if it sort of made sense to my friends in some kind of way because they knew that already by then, like I wanted to be an actor. I think that was some. So I don't think I don't remember anyone else wanting to be an actor at the age of mm-hmm. like 10, 11. Do you know, and and I'd already done this play at the Globe, and like we had something at my school called the reading competition. I always took it like super seriously and everyone else was just like whatever about it so what is that what is that i've got a good idea what it is but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let me break it down to you no. yeah. um, this is why oliver failed at school <laughs> <laughs> the reading competition interesting um <laughs> what is this reading of which you talk <laughs> audio books is how we do it yeah <laughs> i was gonna say if it's not stephen fry i'm not interested no no it's hard work, but, no, he'd, he'd pull out like a mr men book <laughs> Too too many words in that. Spot the dog, I think. Spot the dog. Spot the dog. That's great. I'd love to hear you do a a dramatic read. Maybe you could do that in uh, do that for us later. (laughs) Get your people on it. Where's Wally? Audio (laughs) book. He's not there. He's not there. Um, well, so I was going to break break the reading competition down. Sorry, yeah, yeah, Um, for those who didn't get the get the gist. no, but actually, secretly, I'm delighted that you've asked me this because the reading competition, even though it was something that I engaged in at the ages, like in year four, year five and year six, are some of the things I'm most proud of because I won it every year. And I don't usually get to say that because mostly people don't ask about, you know, the reading competition at Westminster Underscore. Um, so basically, it was you had to pick a passage from a book. You could They would have a theme every year. So it'd be like, I don't know, town and country or life and death or whatever. Um, and you'd go away and you'd pick a passage or a poem and you'd read it. And the final round was in front of the whole school and you had to know it by heart by then and you had to kind of perform it. Yeah, so you were, you were literally performing a monologue when you were, what, eight years old in front of the whole school? When you said reading competition, I thought it was like my school where you sit in the base of the teacher wants half an hour to herself. So you get... <laughs> You get a book, and as a, this is how good I was at school. I thought, great, it's half an hour of nap time. <laughs> anyway, back on topic. 
back on top of yeah the reading competition my great and uh, my great victory why did i even get on the reading competition i was just trying to shoot on it and just very proud of it rightly so so and and in the first year my monologue was again it sounds absurd because i was like eight years old um was uh from henry v it was <laughs> what it was the saint crispin's day speech so i mean maybe someone was doing spot the dog and maybe that's how i won because <laughs> <laughs> i imagine everyone else standing up to read and they've got like we've got billy with spot the dog we've got ben with charlie and the chocolate factory and now if he's going to ring King Lear. <laughs> <laughs> I come on with an old wig. Oh! Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't too far away from that, really. Should have done Lear. Um, that would have been good. So do you remember your, your first day on Pot- at Potter? Yeah. Like, were, you, were you at the read-through? You were, yeah, weren't you? Yeah, I was at the read-through, yeah. re- which also is comical in that, like, a line. <laughs> but it was nice to feel included. <laughs> but it's just only now has that really landed for me. I was like, what was I doing at the read-through? That is bizarre. But that was actually one of the nice things, I guess. It was that everyone was... I remember that being the... I think that was the first day, right? And everyone meeting, and it was sort of... It had that kind of meet and greet energy and everyone being, like, excited. I was just thinking who I'd met before then. I probably met probably just David Heyman and Chris Columbus doing the audition. And actually, I auditioned for Lee Jordan. Okay. But I remember thinking when that came through, because I like knew the books and was really geeky about them. I was like, that's not going to work. Lee Jordan's much older. You know, I was all like, I was like, this is silly. But I read that and they said, we'd like you to play Dean Thomas. I was like, oh, cool. We all met presumably for the first time at the read-through, right? Like none of us that's what I Yeah, before. that's what I remember. Right, right. Um, I remember that day just being, so we were out in that building sort of near the entrance. You remember? Yeah, it was like, they didn't want to let you all the way in. <laughs> <laughs> just in case they had to get rid of you on the basis of the read-through. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it was such a weird building as well. It was almost like a... Because it had like a stage. It was almost like a town hall. Or like a little... Like, a st- can you remember? It did it have like a, a stage little, at the end. Yeah. I, I couldn't even tell you what it was actually used for because it was on an old aircraft field, for one thing. I did not remember that. My memory is horrendous. This is a big, This it's actually really helpful talking about this with you guys because like, I didn't remember there was a stage. People ask me questions about Potter and I'm like, uh, just like, oh, my memory is so bad. Genuinely, I'm like, I'm horrendous. They do, they do all blend into one though, don't they, after a while? Yeah, I think, yes, they must do. And, and that one is sort of in a very murky, distant <laughs> past. <laughs> I can't even really say that, honestly. Hearing something like that about the stage brings it back to me, I remember. Just something I've never, I've never remembered. I remember something else for that day, actually. We used to, probably you guys were, were, <laughs> were too old for this, but I remember some of us just like running around really like excitedly. I remember wanting to, and my dad reminded me I'm 14. <laughs> <laughs> Followed by something like, and they've just bought some ice, some uh, some ice glazed donuts over there. Go and get us one. Oh yeah, you. remember that? It's like, oh. Remember that five o'clock? Remember that five o'clock when the sandwiches would come out? Gosh, that was an important time of the day. That was uh, probably conditioned me. I still get that hunger at five o'clock every day. <laughs> boy, oh boy, yeah, that first day. It's funny remembering that because because that is one thing that I do. It's, it's misty, but I have. I come back to it, just that, just the energy of that day, just thinking like, oh my gosh, this is going to happen. Set the tempo, do you think? Yeah, I think it did. I was, at least, I can only speak for myself really, but like made to feel really comfortable. And I think that's one of the things, looking back on Potter, that I'm most amazed by, is that we were given so much kind of space to be kids. And, you know, it didn't feel like we were getting sort of told off all the time. And, and you just think of what a stressful place a film set is. Don't you think, you look back now and you think, like you say, how much creative, let's call it creativity, we're allowed to express offset. Yes. And just have, just like you say, still be kids. Uh, obviously, we're all very respectful that we're on a working site, yeah. essentially. Yeah. Um, especially when we're on location. So our first things were on the special in the first movie were location, weren't yeah, they? So yeah. we were away for like a month or two to start the film, which I think knitted us together even more. Mm, mm. I think so. I think that was a really... I really missed the locations when they went because I basically... I basically didn't have any more location stuff after the third or fourth. I think they probably just realised 
this is mad. We can't take a troop of kids like around the country every like five minutes to shoot in a cloister or like do whatever. Yeah. Let's just build it. Um, but I remember, but you say we were all respectful and like, but I remember going away to go through, which is where we did that first bit of shooting. And I just remember being on the plane and just being so like hyperactive and excitable. That must be so irritating for everyone else. I was like, film sets are stressful <laughs> enough places. And then the bigger it is, the more stressful and intense the experience is for like the AD, for basically every department, right? There's so much going on. Imagine doing something on the scale of Potter and having to deal with like 350 kids. My school also being very academic and very kind of proud of that and insistent of that were really kind of hard headed with the, with Potter said I couldn't miss more than X many days. So occasionally we, we would sort of have stuff. I don't know if you guys would remember this, but scenes would be shot and I wouldn't be in for like the beginning of the scene when they were like doing the wides or they'd like shoot a bit. Mm. And then I would sort of come in for a bit of it. So I was, I was essentially doing less work than everyone else. Um, and I always think there's a really funny moment on the third film where Mad-Eye Moody comes in and everyone's like having a conversation about who he is. And fourth film, fourth film. Fourth film. Oh, you're so right. You've got to bail me out. Try it again, can... try it again. We'll edit, we'll edit it. We'll so edit basically it. in the uh, fourth film, obviously, when Mad-Eye yeah. Moody, I'm... <laughs> put it in, put it in. Shame. No, we can do it. We can plug nah, it. We can nah, plug nah, it. No, 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 it's all right. I'll own to my mistakes. I'll own to my mistakes. Um, but I said there's a bit where... Um, Emma says he's an aura or something, or someone says he's an aura. Oh, yes, yes, and I remember. remember. Yeah, my line is just aura, and then, and then the conversation continues. But it always makes me crease because the whole scene of that conversation is shot sort of at the point of the table where you can't see me, so you can't see me, and everyone's having this conversation, and then you just get the reverse, and I just go aura, and it just reverses back. <laughs> But we, I remember we kept we kept winding everyone up because we were saying, is it a raw? <laughs> like we kept we kept making out different ways of saying it just to confuse, just to have people panicking of what it's how it should be pronounced. <laughs> that is so deep. Because especially, and this is to this day, it's something that I find so difficult, which was essentially you'd think I would have got used to it after 10, 10 years. But you know, because the films are so big, there's so much. You know, Dean Thomas is like a part of it, but it's as I say, it's like, I'd like a line a movie, basically. So it's something like that, aura, where I was like, that's like all I say in the scene. And you're just sitting there in the scene, just like, here it comes. Don't ruin, don't ruin it for everyone. <laughs> all right. Uh, sorry, everyone, can we go again? <laughs> can I just, can I just do one more for me? Is that okay? Just one more for me. Hello, it's that time again for us to answer some of your questions and hear some of your did you knows. And our first fact comes all the way from Mexico. So thank you, Sophie, for taking time out of your busy class. Well, I wouldn't say she's taking time out. Well, we completely support this idea of spreading learning even when you are learning yourself. Take it away, Sophie. Hi guys, my name is Sophie, I'm 18 and I'm from Mexico City and I have a did you know fact that I hope you guys find interesting. Please ignore my biology class in the background. <laughs> did you know that the fear of beards or facial hair is called pogonophobia? Now it's great that I'm not a pogonophobic or else I would be terrified to look at James right now. Please take care of yourselves and stay safe. Much love from Mexico. Bye! There you go, I didn't know that you could be scared of beards. Or anything. What about stubble? Do you think stubble counts? I don't know. I mean, it's a great excuse, isn't it? If someone comes, you know, if, if someone makes a, an unwanted, um, you know, interest in yourself and they've got a beard. Sorry, mate. I'm allergic to it. Do you think, though, that Sophie heard that in biology class like, at the time and thought, oh, I, need to, I, I need to share this with the world, this information? Maybe. Brilliant. Absolutely love that. Sophie, thank you so much for doing that. Now, going from someone who's skipping out of a school lesson to send us one uh, we're going to a actual school teacher take it away hi james and oliver my name is emily and i'm a school teacher um, in southern california um, i'm originally from a small group of islands in the western pacific called palau and that's kind of where my did you know comes in did you know that there is a place that you can swim with jellyfish, hundreds of jellyfish, without being stung? Well, there's this place in Palau called Jellyfish Lake. It's just a lake full of jellyfish, 
Um, and they've been trapped in this lake for thousands of years. And as a result, they've evolved and lost their ability to sting. So you can actually go and visit and swim with all of these jellyfish. Um, quite an amazing place. So if you ever get the chance after all of this COVID stuff has passed, I hope you get to visit. Thanks again. Have a great day. Well, I hope I pronounce this correctly, but Kamasulang, I believe, I mean, I've only uh, searched for this one, but I believe that is how they say thank you uh, around where those jellyfish are. So thank you so much for that, Emily. That is definitely on my places to visit list. That'd be amazing, wouldn't it? Yeah, I remember I was in um, the Whitsunday Islands, so it's in the northern part of Australia, um, and we went swimming, but you had to wear stinger suits because there was that many jellyfish around there, and these things will send you into hospital or even kill you for the amount of like how quickly if they sting you obviously that it'll get your heart rate up to so to be able to go swim with jellyfish who can't sting you that is brilliant so yes definitely have to make a pit stop there uh, and i can imagine being that part of the world it's very pretty as well so that would definitely be on the to-do list now now look the next one is a very uplifting tale take to a sophie from denmark hello everyone james my name's sophie and i'm from denmark and today i have a little did you know fun fact kind of thing did you know that the creator of the pringles can frederick bauer was actually buried in a pringles can because he was so proud of his creation do you know what what a way to go yeah do you think that they made a specifically special built pringle can for him or do you think it was just like someone had finished eating some pringles i was gonna go in there no i'd, I'd like to think that it was literally like a full-on six foot pringle can your favourite, your favourite flavour as well. So maybe like if it was red, that'd be epic. That'd be amazing. Biodegradable. Yeah. I suppose once you pop, you can't stop. Other crisp companies are available, but great fact. Thank you very much for that, Sophie. <laughs> yes. Now let's get on to the questions as well. James, this question comes from Lulu and asks, if you could shapeshift into anything, an object, person or animal, what would it be and why? That's a very good question, isn't it? I would I would shapeshift into a massive eagle just to get around and you know can does that mean I can still do what I normally do like you know go to the shops probably you know. self checkout could be a bit of a pain though couldn't it you know trying to scan stuff with the claws carrying your bag away it would be cool to shapeshift into something like a dolphin or something like that or a turtle turtle would be good moving on James so this is from Evelyn in California and Evelyn asks what role that you have played do you identify with the most thank you for taking the time to read my question i love you guys very nice i don't know really it's tricky because there's quite a few i mean i suppose i mean obviously playing george in potter was quite a, a big one i suppose that's the best thing really about when you you're acting you're taking up a role where you don't necessarily have to identify with the character is that you're just like taking on this different persona I would say the, the role which I've identified with the most probably has to be Fred from Harry Potter because that was one that I played the longest so you definitely become used to the character as, as itself um, but other ones I've done since I've, you, do, you find a way to identify them with them in some way shape or form at least I do that's kind of my one of the methods that I use for when I'm acting is that you use what you can relate to as a base and then go from there Exactly and Patricia finishes off by saying what is the weirdest fake news you've heard about yourself God, how many how long have we got for this one uh, the one that keeps coming up and it's so boring because it's so wrong and so fake is how apparently we cried and got really oh, upset when we filmed it it was oh, it was really sad and we both emotionally hugged each other and said I love you and all this nonsense like no we, we didn't at all it's complete fabrication of naff Rubbish, absolute rubbish. Gets me on a bit of a rant back. Yeah, you can go on the rant today. I would say that's the bit. That's the biggest fake news. Or we're on TikTok. That's another bit of fake news. Right. So thank you for that, James. James having a rant today. <clears throat> note Sorry. the date. So the next note is a voice note about her normal, and this comes from Ellis in the Czech Republic. Hi, James. Hi, Elmer. My name is Ellis, and I'm from Czech Republic. And I want to say what the normal means to me. Well, I think it means to be yourself, do things you want, even if nobody wants you to do them. Be with people you love and care about, just be happy, 
It's important to be yourself. Ellis, thank you so much for sharing that. And it's very, very cool to hear everything from your side of where you are. Now, the next one is a lovely jingle from Sarah. And it is absolutely brilliant. And I really, really like the, uh, the bit of freestyling what goes on as well. Take it away. Normal. What's the point in being normal? Tell me about yourself. Come on out your shell No more What's the point in being no more? What's your favourite food? Is it pineapple too? You know what James, it has to be said Pineapple pizza just isn't the best No more What's the point in being no more? Tell me about yourself Come on, I absolutely love that. Even though we have a completely different sort of opinion on pineapple, I'm right. I completely loved it. I, I thought it was fantastic. Thank you so much for sending that in. Exactly. So, guys, keep them coming in as well. We love, love hearing them and reading all your input. So, the email address, if you don't know it by now, is normalnotnormalpodcast at gmail.com. That's normalnotnormalpodcast at gmail.com. Or tweet us using the hashtags normalnotnormal and hashtag did you know. And of course, if you're under the age of 18 and you're sending us a note or a jingle, please, please, please get permission from a parent or guardian first. Now, I think it's time to get back to our chat with Alfie Enoch. So one question, Alfie, I've always wondered, I know that when we were filming, you carried on into education, higher education. Where did you go to university, Alfie? Oh, come on. <laughs> this is just like... No, but it's impressive. That's why. impressive, mate. It's impressive. Uh, yeah, but it's... Uh, okay. I, uh, I went to Oxford. I did modern languages. But that was to study because you are fluent in Portuguese. <laughs> <laughs> I love the way you did that. I love the way you did that. James. like, yeah, yeah. I wasn't saying you're really clever. I was saying you conjure way in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just walk in doing King Lear. The other people applied. You didn't apply. And you're standing outside the door one day just speaking the language. <laughs> On the phone to my mum, they were like, come. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so that is that is my... I was going to say little cheat, massive cheat, because I speak Portuguese, right? So I'm 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 half Brazilian. My mum's from Brazil. I speak Portuguese with my mum, which also modern languages had the highest acceptance rate of any course at Oxford when I applied. Okay, so it was forty three percent, which like you know people doing like history was like ten, English was like eight, you know, or whatever. Um, so if you're listening and you want to go to Oxford <laughs> and you're good at language yeah exactly make sure just pick a language you speak already apply for that and you'll be fine I think you're selling yourself short there mate but so you just feel bad that you outed me about studying a language I already spoke no I was <laughs> A I've always been impressed about how you could just adapt to any situation you're in especially when there are girls around they always seem to flock around you for some reason <laughs> <laughs> He'd be, he'd be sitting there going, oh, for a yeah. two, two solid flesh of milk and stuff. Doing Shakespeare in Portuguese. <laughs> um, but anyway, anyway, apart from that, some listeners may, some listeners may know this or don't, but I'm right, trying try, try to use a segue here into stuff we've got in common. But we are all members of the Bunbury cricket team. So it's a charity cricket team made by professional cricketers, sportsmen, actors, singers, basically any other vagabonds who want to join in. Um, but I remember when we were playing a game back in, so we played quite a few games throughout a couple of summers when we just finished filming. Um, and I remember when we were playing in 2014 and we were in the, uh, in the locker room on one of the first earlier games. And I remember the guys in the change room saying, you know, is Alfie playing today? And we were like, no, he's, uh, he's doing some show in, some new show in, in the States. And that's all we knew. But that turned out to be your, your role as Wes Givens in um, right. ABC's massive How to Get Away with Murder. So how can you describe like how one getting into that that role? Because obviously, as you say, like going from say, I, I know you did stuff at like the Edinburgh Fringe and everything like that in between, but going from Dean Thomas, as you say, which is like I think you're playing it down with just one line of film, but going from that to <laughs> leading man, you know, and everything on the front of it. Because I remember being in New York in the taxis, and you came up telling people the highlights of what to do in New York, and this is before I'd seen the show, and I was like. <laughs> 
what the hell's <laughs> what's happening in this camp? <laughs> so what's the <laughs> so what's the like what was it what was it like first of all being able to work on on that type of show and yeah leading to the role and everything like that yeah that was it was it was mad as you say i mean nothing really could have prepared me for it and uh even though you know you kind of think you're prepared before something like that happens you're like yeah, yeah i could do that that's not a big deal but i just had this moment where I think it was the third day of shooting for the pilot. And we'd sort of started and it was all sort of going well. And, you know, it was just like a lot of stuff. And I was like, God, we're shooting quickly and there's a lot going on. And, you know, I hadn't really done much TV before then. I'd done a pilot. I did five days on a show called Mount Pleasant with David Bradley and five days on Sherlock. And that was it. So all of a sudden <laughs> doing this like massive network television show, which although admittedly at that point, we didn't know if it was going to get picked up or not. And so three days in, we were shooting this big group scene. Everyone left. And it was just this big scene with just me and Viola Davis. And I just remember, I just remember kind of pacing around, running my lines. And I just looked to the side and someone had just like set out our chairs. And there was just a chair that said Viola Davis, the chair next to it that said Alfred York. And I thought, don't this up. <laughs> <laughs> It was so exciting. I mean, it was it was it was a lot of pressure that I put on myself with everything, but specifically with the accent because I'd never worked in an American accent before. I'd you know I'd, I'd like never even done one in like a student play or anything. I'd, I'd just like hadn't done it for like a couple of auditions and the auditions for that. So I was just like, I have to be on point. You know, I was like, it's not, I'm not doing it for English people. This is going to be on ABC and everyone else is American. And oh my gosh. And I could get recast. And blah, 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 blah. I was just, that, and it, it was this massive world. So I would be, I was like doing the accent work before I went out there. I remember on the, on the flight, we'd been given this book as reading by the showrunner, Pete Noel. He'd send us like these books just to, to help us and give us a sense of the world. And I was sitting there reading out loud in the American accent because I was just like that pranging out about getting it wrong. Um, and I would like go to sleep with the radio on. And I mean, like the, so it was, like, it was a lot of work that I wanted to do to prep for it. And I wanted to do to feel like, you know, I could, I could do a good job. Did you stay in in the accent throughout your whole time from getting on the plane to set everything. Yeah. So that, so that was the plan. I had decided that would help me because I didn't, for two reasons, I didn't want the moment where I was like, <clears throat> how do I sound? You know, I didn't <laughs> like, I didn't want everyone to be like, Oh, is he going to do it like that? You know, I didn't want those looks or anything if it sounded bad. So I wanted kind of to be used to it myself and for everyone to be used to it and not to have to have that awkward switch. The other thing was, I just wanted to spend more time in the voice. So I wasn't ideally thinking about the accent at all. And I could just play the scene. But I remember I'd, I'd done it in the plane and I was reading out loud and I was like talking to the air hostess like massively like self-consciously. And then I, um, I got to the hotel, I pulled up and I saw the first person I saw was Matt McGorry. Um, who played a character called Asher and he had been on Orange is the New Black. And I'd like Googled everyone. So I knew, and we had sort of obviously knew that we were both in it. And he was just like, oh, hi. And I just went, hello, hi. <laughs> I just like dropped the accent. Like, I just was like, I cannot. It's like, this is too awkward. Um, but I ended up three days later, I just like did the even more awkward thing of like suddenly switching. And I just, just like, I'm going to do it. It's going to help me. This is going to be so awkward this morning, but I'm going to do it. And I walked down and I was like, hi, everyone. As you maybe can hear, I'm doing the accent. I'm going to do this now. And everyone was like, all right. I was just like, God, I look like such a no. <laughs> but I basically just kept it up. But it was all about just trying to be as prepared as I could. So the show is produced by Shonda Rhimes, mm -hmm. who is com complete legend. Like She's done Grey's Anatomy, Scandal, uh, Bridgerton, the new Netflix hit what was it like working on a project with her and what what is your what your character in it can you describe mm. him and the summarize the show in general oh boy okay um <laughs> and <go. laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um so she i mean to work with someone of that level of skill and ability who'd created so many successful shows you know i mean i remember doing the pilot and i was like 
God, we, you know, we don't know if it's going to pick to get picked up and we hope so. And one of my friends just like turned, who was on the show, just turned to me and she was like, Viola Davis is playing the lead and it's produced by Shonda Rhimes. We're getting picked up. <laughs> 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 you know, that's obviously going to happen. And, you know, she was completely right. And the basic idea of the thing was that you, you meet these young law students who are just starting law school um, and they're bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, you know, looking forward to their future. So you see that in kind of one section of the story. And the other section, you get these flash-forwards to a night where they're disposing of the body. And so the obvious structural question that's asked is, how did these people get there? Did you notice the difference in terms of, like, people coming up to you in the streets and saying, wow, that's amazing, I've seen you in a taxi in New York? <laughs> you know or, in, or just i love the show because i remember we were i was going through photographs of um a bunbury game and my pal uh was like hang on he's he's, he's british so, yeah yeah and again i suppose that, that's the thing that goes back to the accent just speaking about it all the time mm. is that i think she must have seen some behind the scenes stuff but you were still in the accent then so it does lead to people occasionally. I, I was doing a play up in Manchester, and and uh, and two girls, they must have been about sixteen or something, came up to me and they were like, "Oh my god, uh, what are you doing in Manchester?" I was like, oh, "I'm doing a play." And they were like, "Do you like England?" And I was like, <laughs> "What do you mean?" It was like, "Is this your first time?" And I was like, "I was born in London." They were like, "I was like, I'm talking to you now." I was like, "I'm not doing the accent now." What do you mean? They were like, "Oh, cool." Enjoy your stay. I was like, no, I said I'm. Oh, never mind. It was like <laughs> they went away. He's very method, isn't he? He's very method. <laughs> it was so bizarre because that's because I think people associate you with what they know. And if someone has watched all of How to Get Away with Murder, you know, watched however many hours of TV, and like their only contact with me is that, you kind of hear what you expect to hear to a certain degree. So this is called normal, not normal. What does normal, the word, mean to you? Normal means are comfortable, familiar, and boring. But that doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. <laughs> I think I have a bit of a prejudice against the word normal. I'm like, normal. It's normal. Who wants to be normal? You want things to be interesting or different or exciting. But probably I think I'm coming to accept more and more that I like normal. I like doing quite like comfortable, chill things. And- yeah, but I do feel like it's there's a part of me that like wants to be doing things that are exciting, different, and it feels like that's kind of kind of counter energy to normal. What what, what what would you say then would be the most normal thing about you? I like walking. That is normal, and and again, I mean more. It's almost not normal because it's so boring. It's sort of beyond normal into just really dull. When you say when you, when you say walking, do you mean like rambling? Or just like going for walks. Yeah, love that. Like I, like I went with my girlfriend for a walk when the lockdown lifted last year. Like up the Thames, we walked to Oxford. I had to imagine of you walking with like a wicker picnic basket, going, "Come on, let's go. I'll take you out for a lunch." Where are we going? Oxford. Oh, okay. We'll go. We'll go and do some punting when we get there. <laughs> marvelous, marvelous. We did go punting when we got there, but it's really fun. It's punting is fun. That is just a fact. Um, but yeah, it was a bit, I mean, part of me is in conflict with, with like my younger self that was articulated actually the other day. I went for a walk uh, along the canal, along Regent's Canal in London. And I just came across this bit, just coming up to King's Cross. And there was this little girl just went, oh, she was sort of throwing a bit of a strop and she just kind of turned around to like the adult she was with and just went, this is boring. We're just walking. We're just, it's just boring. <laughs> and I just looked at her and I just thought, I used to think that, and now that's how boring I've become. <laughs> I was having the time of my life. So that is probably the most normal thing about me. The best holidays I have are walking holidays, I think. so. Well, they're great. I completely agree with Isn't you. Isn't it good? They're amazing. I did a pilgrimage three years ago. I did the Camino de Santiago. Which oh, is, is that the one in the northern Spain? Exactly, yeah. That looks it's, incredible. That looks absolutely incredible. 30 yeah. days, you start. I started in the Pyrenees. I ended up in the sea. You walk from the mountain to the sea. I went through Burgos, Pamplona. Sorry, I'm doing that like annoying thing where people like, it's like, like can I have a glass of Rioja, please? Or yeah. the, uh, Campo Viejo. 
<laughs> it's the worst. I get rids for that by people, and rightly, and rightly. Yes, but yes, but saying that, saying saying that you're doing that though, Alf, I think you should try and at least pronounce a city or a town how the locals pronounce it. When we were down in the south, we went to Valencia. <laughs> I remember that's how they said it. They didn't say va, va. They said it with a V at the beginning with a regional accent. People are going to know where you mean. If you said Valencia, yes, I know. people yeah, know. No, 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 no. You say that. You say that. But anyway, anyway, right. So you try, but, but then you try and say a word, right? And mm. you'll get corrected on it. I was like, I'm trying it. I am trying it. <laughs> Not that this has haunted him at all. Yeah, I, I was going to say, you've taken it really well. <laughs> it's amazing the amount of places where I do it. I remember when we did a drive around Europe and we were in Italy. And uh, Rup was with us and we were in this tiny little town and we were trying to speak in very, very broken Italian. Just to be respectful, really, you know, oh, could we, you know, sit down here? And, you know, we're trying our best with it. Yeah, but he said it as, can we speak? Can we sit down <laughs> here? <laughs> and you wonder why they got cross. <laughs> I'd always want to say that if, when people say, if you could speak to your 10-year-old self, what would you say? I would definitely say pay more attention in French or Spanish or some kind of like learn a lang learn a second language because it may not seem that important to you at that age, but when you're 10 years time, you can get so much further and have such better experiences speaking. Cause I think when you can have a, a conversation with someone in another language, <laughs> I'm yet to do so, but I imagine it is such a, a rewarding thing, especially when you're in their country trying to learn stuff like just asking where things are, like it can go a, a long, long way. Well, no, I remember, I remember going right. We're, we're in, uh, we're in Seville, and my friend was going to order some food, and he said, uh, he said, how do you, uh, how do you say, I just like a glass of red wine, and I said, uh, um, el, el verde maleta. So we, so we went up to the bar and asked for a, you know, what a green suitcase, <laughs> and the, <laughs> the chef just looked at him. <laughs> refused to give him water, refused to give him anything and just said agua, agua, <laughs> just gave him water. <laughs> I did tell him that on purpose. I don't honestly think that that is how you order. Okay, I was going to say that. <laughs> wine or anything like that. We'll just, uh, I'll just let you off the hook on that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Since Oliver's asked, what's the most normal? What is the least normal thing about you? I'd say the least normal thing about me is how uh, much of an old person I am at heart. And I've thought about this. I think it's, I think it's my dad's fault. My dad's, my dad's 96 now. And so I think generationally, I'm actually of a different generation than I appear, which is unhelpful being only 32, quite young, and looking like I'm about 12. So we'll call you Benjamin Button. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, yeah, exactly. That's actually quite. That's actually felt great affinity with that character. <laughs> um, because, like, genuinely, I grew up in a house where my dad referred to the radio as the wireless. You know, I mean, that's like watching like war movies from the sixties. Like, I remember we slightly had this on Potter when, like, I always felt like so dumb about popular culture. I felt like there was so much that everyone would talk about. I'd be like. I don't actually know what that is, or I've never actually seen that film, or I've like I'd like never seen Back to the Future. Or I remember like I think maybe you guys and Matt were like, "What? Have you not seen that?" Or like whatever it was, and I and there were so many things like that that I would sort of always have growing up, and I think that still that still like lingers. Like I'm technologically useless. I mean, for someone who is I think 32, I'm maybe a millennial. I don't know, but I'm I'm that describes me in, in no accurate way. I like I I hate technology deep sort of deep down inside. I like if I could uh, so at uni I hand wrote all of my essays. No one did that. I like hand wrote them and like crossed stuff out and like just people were like, why don't you just use a computer? I was like, can't type, don't want to learn, I'm okay. I was like, I'm living my best analog life. <laughs> Even for this, I was calling Alice in a panic before being like, I don't think I've got the right cable. I mean, very nicely, you guys sent me a mic. Here it is, beautiful, very, <laughs> couldn't work out how to use it, just had to plug it in. That was beyond me. So that is, that is probably, it's probably not normal for a 32 year old adult um, not to be able to do basic technology. But that is, that's me, entry level at best. Brilliant. So what, what would you say, uh, Alfie's coming up next? Like, what are you excited for 
uh, coming up in the future. Obviously, you've got your foundation on, uh, on Apple yes. TV. Foundation. So foundation will be coming sometime this year. The scripts are fantastic. They are really, really good. And the last time I was over doing a bit on foundation, um, I got to see a little kind of 20 minute sort of teaser. It's sort of longer than a teaser, but a few scenes and a few things. It's, it's not necessarily what it will be like. And it looks incredible. It looks really, really, really good. So that was that was a really cool gig and it's a cool thing to to kind of have to look forward to really so yes so foundation for sure picture of dorian gray is the next one which is a sort of it's been called an online play or well, the last one was called a play for the online stage some of the costumes i, I got to wear were outrageous i basically sat back being horrific and, and kind of entitled and i was like speaking like this the whole time it was great yeah 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 great. yeah <laughs> so much fun takes me back to the old days yeah great um so that was a real hoot so i got to do that for two days with a fantastic cast as well like steve stephen fry um but it's like essentially me and joanna lovely getting interviewed and, and it sort of tells the story through that and bits of, bits of sort of found footage yes yeah? i think it's going to be really good and where will that be out um that will be on the internet Oh yeah, on the interwebs. Yeah. <laughs> on that, on the interwebs. Put your, put your dial up in. Yes, exactly. Don't connect to the modem. Don't try and phone me because if you won't be able to hear, be engaged. Right. So now I'm going to ask you my 3 a.m. questions, which I actually sent you. Yes, I was going to say good. I'm prepped. I'll be more concise. Okay, great. <laughs> No, you won't. Yeah, I'll, so, I'll try. First of all, Alfie, what is your favourite book? My favourite book at the moment, I have to say at the moment. Uh, can I have three? You're going to say no, but I'm going to just give you sure. three anyway. Oh, cool. Um, are the Wolf Hall series by Hilary Mantel. Wolf Hall, Bring Up the Bodies, and uh, The Mirror and the Light, which I read last year. And they were like probably the highlight of my year which again makes me sound normal and boring but I mean genuinely I felt like I was like had lived with Thomas Cromwell I mean people have loved those books but I'm just like I'm I said this to a friend the other day I miss him I genuinely miss <laughs> Thomas Cromwell <laughs> what is your favorite song favorite song I'm going to say the best of my love by the emotions how about it eh? <laughs> what's your favorite food black truffle that's such a <laughs> this is bad isn't it this is bad you mean, you mean is this is this one is this one is this one picked up by a pig or just like any old truffle <laughs> <laughs> no, black truffle actually is the is the least fancy of the two truffles. There's white truffle. Um, I was worried that with all the talk about West Windsor and Oxford, if I'd said white truffle, I might, I, I might... <laughs> oysters. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I might not come across in the right way, so I went for the black truffle, which is a bit more relatable. Um, yes. No, I just love it. That is, I'm sorry, that is the like the tasty. I could have that truffle risotto, truffle. Obviously, those things are predictably expensive, but. Um, but my days, anytime I'm like, anyway, and they have anything truffly on the menu, I'm like, yes, yes, mm. yes. What is your favourite film? <laughs> <laughs> my favourite film. My fa Oh, yeah, I'm going to say um, something, again, recent, fresh in my mind. I saw a film last year called Corpus Christi, which is a Polish film. It's abs absurdly beautiful, powerful, good, extraordinary. I mean, just everyone should find it and watch it. And what is your favourite quote? My favourite quote, I'm going to, again, just plough my furrow a bit deeper and say something in Spanish. Um, ¿Quién lo duda? Which means, who would doubt it? It's a line from early on in Don Quixote, right at the beginning. Don Quixote saying to Sancho, come out with me, you can be my squire, and I'm a great knight, and we're going to ride off and have adventures. And Sancho's a bit like, mm, not sure about this, and I've got the wife at home. And he goes, no, 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 you should come, the things that could happen. He was like, like what? He was, well, it's very normal that uh, knight errants such as myself should go and through their exploits and their deeds become kings. And then to reward their uh, squire, they make their squire uh, a duke or, or 
or, you know, but the worst, a governor. And, he, and Sancho sort of goes, oh, think I could be a governor. And he goes, ¿Quién lo duda? Who would doubt it? Because it's sort of like, why not choose to believe something extraordinary? Why not? Why not? Well, Alfie, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, I've really, really had a great time, as I'm sure everyone else has, once we've edited this down from the four hours that we're at. Do you know, I was actually, before we before we came on today, I was just so happened to, this is how nerdy I am, I have, I've got two laptops which died many years ago, and they've just been sat at the bottom of a drawer. So over lockdown, I've been YouTubing how to get the old me- the memory out of these dead computers so I can see what's on them. And I found a load of photos of when we were, it was like you, Afshan, Bonnie, Matt, myself, Oliver, and we all went, we went for a meal in London. There's, I've no, I can't ever remember seeing these photos before, but there's a video of you walking down the road pretending you're, rock, you're Apollo Creed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I actually remember this. Because <laughs> you had like this leather jacket on or something, but you look like <laughs> Apollo Creed looking for Balboa. <laughs> There's all these random people I'll walking make sure down to the put street that on this well. video. <laughs> I was going to say, you could finish with that. <laughs> yeah. uh, good times. But mate, thank you so much for joining us this week. Really appreciate thank it. Thank you guys. It's been an absolute joy. That was brilliant, that. Still chuckling. A very, very good laugh, as always, with Alfie. As you can probably tell, no one's got a bad word to say about him because he's such a... just a fun guy to be around. Exactly, exactly. So he didn't actually say it, but I remember when he was actually in Spain studying. I think it was in... I I think it was in Seville. I think. He was a... Seville. He was a a tour guide, wasn't he? Yes, he was. As part, he didn't. He didn't allude to that. So maybe if you've been on holiday to Spain and you had a tour guide, maybe it was the lovely Alfie Enoch. That'd have been something, wouldn't it? Yeah, I've still got to do my did you knows. Oh, hang on, hang on then, hang on. Did you know? That's not going to be the intro for this. Okay, put the drum. Well, I've down. had a lot of people saying, Oliver, we haven't heard the drum in a couple of weeks. So I just want to show people that it's alive and well. Okay. Well, anyway. Alfie talked about how he likes to go walking, right? So did you know that walking 6,000 steps a day can help you improve your health? And while you're walking, another did you know fact, while you're walking, it's good to have water, right? Stay hydrated. Did you know, Oliver, that hot water will turn to ice faster than cold water? How does that work then? I'm not a scientist, I'm just saying. Okay. Uh, Another one. The sentence, the quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog, uses every letter in the English language. What? Say again. The quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog. Every letter is used in that sentence. Finally, I'm going to end on a did you know fact, which I'm sure some people will find very interesting. And I'd like to thank Shannon, who told me a part of this on Cameo Calls the other day. So I've alluded and gone even deeper into it. So this is about pineapples. Did you know? They were first known in Europe at the end of the 15th century when Christopher Columbus, he and his crew found them on Guadeloupe. So in the 17th century, they were grown in hot houses in England and the Netherlands in conditions that mimic the warm temperatures that they needed to grow in. But they were in very high demand and in low supply. So only the extremely wealthy could afford them. So royalty like Louis XV, uh, Catherine the Great, and even England's Charles II had them. In fact, Charles II liked them so much they commissioned a painting of his gardener presenting him a pineapple. So they came to symbolise luxury and the finer things in life. And this too was happening as well in the American colonies where they were in so much demand that pineapples that were imported from the Caribbean could cost as much as $800 in today's money. But those who couldn't afford $800 could actually rent a pineapple. Of course. That's right. People could rent a pineapple to show off to their friends for a dinner party or something like that but not eat it just show them that they had a pineapple then take it back to where they rented it from and so throughout the 1700s and the 1800s artists depicted pineapples to symbolize hospitality and generosity and so this is why if you look around london you will find pineapples everywhere even at the top of saint paul's cathedral 
But eventually they became more readily available. So now everyone can have pineapples wherever they want them, especially on their pizzas. Thank you very much. That's my did you knows. Right. So is that why, just thinking about it, when you said that they were depicted on lots of stuff, is that why on the Wimbledon's tennis tournament, on the men's trophy, is that why there's a pineapple on the top? Now, now you see, since I read that and I learned about it, whenever you walk around London, you will notice how many pineapples there are randomly everywhere. So enjoy looking at them. Jolly good. Guys, thank you very much for joining us this week. We had a great chat speaking with Alfie. We hope you guys enjoyed it too. I've been James Phelps. I've been Oliver Phelps. Guys, stay safe. Adios, mi amigos. Normal Not Normal is a stable production. 